Welcome to today's podcast on improving cybersecurity for the private client. Cyber risk continues to migrate from exclusively large enterprise environments to individual users and their personal technology and internet-connected devices. Additionally, the threat landscape is changing from primarily targeted attacks to mass opportunistic campaigns that exploit unaware users and unprotected devices and networks. In this podcast, I'll interview CEO and founder Brad Deflin at Total Digital Security, where his firm specializes in providing enterprise-grade cybersecurity solutions to protect individuals and their personal technology from cybercrime. Total Digital Security offers enterprise-grade cybersecurity solutions to individuals, families, homes, home offices, professional practices, and trusted client advisors. Solutions are remotely monitored and managed for real-time protection using multiple intelligence databases, automatic updates, and machine learning for optimal performance. Recent enhancements include artificial intelligence to address zero-day threats and real-time updates that occur within 60 seconds of new threat discovery. Welcome, Brad. I'm glad you could join us today. Good morning, Greg. Glad to be with you. So we are seeing this... um, migration from enterprises to personals, and it's really sort of the personalization of cyber risk. And as I mentioned in the opening, it's this trend towards mass opportunistic attacks. Um, talk a little bit about your data and observations that you've got from actively being in this space. Sure. So the company was founded on this mega trend, really, where the risk was migrating out of these enterprise, call it IT department managed environments, which are still included, of course, in targeted attacks, but increasingly on individuals using their personal technology um, because there's less awareness, they are more vulnerable, and yet uh, there is still a good profit motive involved. And now with so much information having been stolen, Uh, say, since 2013 when we had the Home Depot and targeted attacks and then all the headline breaches, you know, if you notice, um, what they're after is our information. Uh, It is less and less intellectual property. It is less and less cyber warfare or um, spying on whether it be corporate government or military entities and more of getting our personal information so that it can be assembled into data sets and pulled in a way where these mass exploits uh, can target many thousands, tens of thousands, and more targets at the same time, but actually targeting in a customized way each individual according to the information that they may have on record and that they're pulling from their data sets. So since we started in 2013, um, cybercrime for profit was about 50% of the overall problem. If you think of um, cyber risk as a big pie, and that pie predominantly before 2013, again, was around cyber warfare, intellectual property theft, cyber espionage, really not necessarily cybercrime for immediate profit. Um, in 2013, that really began, began to shift, and while the pie was smaller in 2013, the cybercrime for-profit element 
which was more around the mass exploits, opportunistic type exploits, reached 50% of that overall issue. Now the pie is many, many, many times larger. Um, for perspective, the pie, the overall issue, the overall problem in terms of damages from cyber risk was about $100 billion maybe in 2013. Now that number is estimated to be in the trillions. And yet the cybercrime for profit, which again is mostly around mass opportunistic campaigns, is almost 90% of the activity. So not only has the overall activity expanded tremendously, but the portion uh, that is targeting uh, mass individual personal users of technology has been the real driver of that overall growth. Yeah, some scary statistics there. Um, I'm actually calling into this podcast from the Secure World Boston um, conference mm-hmm. today. And one of the sessions, they were talking about a use case uh, where um, someone's phone was really accessed um, because they were letting their uh, children use the phone to play games. Uh, mm-hmm. And the games themselves had a vulnerability that allowed, uh, you know, an, uh, an adversary to get in through the game and then actually get into the network uh, through their email. Uh, access. So it was uh, an interesting use case. I'm sure you've got some cases and examples from clients that you've worked with that you can share w- with our audience. Yeah, and that is an example that we see more and more of where the kids might use the device and they might access some questionable sites, some sites that might be posing as a gaming site but have another agenda, a criminal agenda behind it, and eventually the device is compromised and some other exploit begins to take place. That We're very much seeing that out in the field. Um, you know, we exist at the intersection of people, um, the technology they use every day, and what we call the new face of risk, the new face of cyber risk. You know, not so much in a data center or an IT department, but out there in the field at that intersection where the rubber really hits the road in terms of the activity that we're talking about. And so that's very much the case. Another thing that's, uh, I think, interesting and that people should be aware of is the level of patience um, that hackers and cyber criminals have these days. Um, You see statistics all over the place. One of the recent ones was 100 days on average uh, skulking in a device to monitor the activity back and forth. I've seen other estimates that are higher. Whatever the number is, we're finding that they're very patient. They're applying software that monitors the activity, collecting that data, using smart software to organize and assemble that data to pick their spots in order to optimize and get the most out of the exploit that they can. So an example from the field is a gentleman came to us, a 52-year-old businessman from South Florida, and he woke up one day and three of his investment accounts held at three different firms. All three were wiped out. And after some forensics and bringing a partner into the case that uh, is an expert on forensics, we determined that they had been skulking in his environment, in his technology environment, for almost six months. So maybe they could have, you know, breached one account, 
earlier, but they took their time. They were patient. They knew there were three accounts. They waited to get those credentials. They picked their spot. They optimized their attack, and those were the results that he had. Yeah, great examples. Um, you know, so there's really not that much separation uh, in some of these examples between our business and personal lives. Um, and so how do you bring sort of enterprise-grade cybersecurity uh, to the private client or to individuals? Um, what's, what's the process there and what's the value in, in doing so? Maybe you can comment on sure. that. Yeah. So conceptually, we started the company in 2013 based on two what we called bankable trends, two trends that we felt were very predictable, that we felt were not difficult to extrapolate what was happening, and built the business based on those two bankable trends. Bankable trends, number one, we already spoke about, is the personalization of the risk, the migration of this risk into environments that were totally unprepared. The other bankable trend, number two, is really the other side of the coin, and that is tremendous capital coming into the IT security industry, which was, you know, historically kind of a stagnant industry, not a whole lot of innovation, uh, some large government, military-type customers, not much of a consumer demand. That really changed beginning in 2012, 2013, when it was recognized as a great growth industry for the future. And if you remember the environment in 2012 or 2013, there weren't a whole lot of growth um, prospects uh, in the world at that time after 2008 and the financial collapse. However, there was still an awful lot of capital with low rates and Fed-induced liquidity. There was a lot of investment capital, and a lot of that capital found its way into the IT security industry. And much of that capital was way down the capital stack, uh, venture capital, startups, companies uh, backed by uh, uh, large amounts of capital, very smart people, innovative people with innovative ideas that were starting with a fresh slate. They could use advanced networking technologies, advanced software technologies, including artificial intelligence, which was just coming into its own at that point in time to disrupt um, the, call it the sustaining players in the industry that were more around selling hardware, selling boxes, as they say, as a, as versus selling results, which is really what people want as a service, mm -hmm. if you will. And a lot of that focus of, from that capital was around users and devices because that's where the activity was migrating to. And so we concluded that we could tap into that innovation, find um, the solutions that were built for mission-critical environments but were software-defined, remotely monitored and managed, using uh, advanced machine learning and artificial intelligence as tools, and deliver that all the way to one user and one device, or a family, or a home office, or a professional practitioner, where they could receive the same level of protection as a large enterprise in a very affordable and simple-to-use fashion. And so uh, that's the approach that we've taken, um, and it started in the ultra-high-net-worth segment as they are risk-averse and risk-sensitive, 
And once we explained our value proposition and explained what we were doing, we got really good traction there. However, the solutions are affordable enough and the problem is big enough that that market is expanded and we handle, for example, individual realtors, real estate agents, right, that may not uh, have an IT department that is making sure their devices and their practices are protecting their client and their reputation and their brand um, out there in the field. And really everything in between the billionaire family with multiple residences, again, all the way to the individual with a couple of personal devices that simply wants to protect from this risk. Brad, I love this, the term you, you may want to trademark it, sort of results of a, as a service, so RAS. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just we just mm-hmm. created something new. I think that's that's an awesome term. We should we should try it. to get in use here. Um, you know, obviously, if you're working with individuals and, and everything, it's got to be easy to use. It can't disrupt their you know current way they work. It's this or it's just not going to work. Like like it might uh, be more disruptive in an in an enterprise environment. Uh, and it's got to work, uh, you know, everywhere and all the time, everywhere they are, you know, it's always kind of on. So talk a little bit about this open platform model that you've got and, and how you how that works and how that can really help with this always on everywhere kind of approach. Yeah. So the, you know, look, we you said it earlier, Greg, there really is no line of demarcation anymore between our personal lives, our professional lives what we're doing individually, what we're doing for as a trusted advisor. Uh, we're sort of on and connected everywhere all the time. Um, it's, it's an existential issue. And so our value proposition and our mission statement includes to provide solutions that work everywhere all the time across all of our devices, uh, just like we do. And so the solutions have network ubiquity. Regardless of where you are, you have a connection to a data center that is in real time protecting your activities, protecting your devices, protecting you from the outside, anonymizing you as much as possible in your activities. Um, whether you are on your phone or your laptop or your home computer or anywhere in between. Um, it's really important for the private client that these things are not disruptive, that they are seamless. However, um, I'll tell you that it's been really interesting and, and very rewarding, actually, in terms of, you know, people have very little appetite for the issue. There's a lot of avoidance behavior, a lot of apathy. But there's also a swelling desire for empowerment. Nobody wants to be bullied. Nobody wants to be a victim. And people do want to embrace the Internet for all of all its work. So once they start using the solution. And they start, you know, tapping in to see, well, what's going on? They don't have to do anything, but they're still informed. They still recognize the value based on results. And so their level of curiosity increases. Their level of engagement in the matter increases. They're noticing the headlines more. They're tuning in. And so the awareness level and the behavioral adaptation level goes up significantly, I think, as a result of being a user, a consumer, of the solutions. So it drives both ends, which I think are really important for the ultimate level of defenses, is to have an informed, aware, interested user plus best-in-class solutions, 
both of which are on all the time, again, wherever you are in whatever device you happen to be using at the moment. Yeah, it's great. I mean, the whole issue of just increasing awareness of the issue, I think, is a big uh, sort of hurdle, I think, in this in this kind of marketplace. Another session that was earlier today at this conference talked about our mobile devices being the, the real next attack vector. Mm-hmm. Um, and people tend to not think about that. Um, they're doing everything uh, that they might do on their computer, uh, but they're doing it through their phone. And people don't necessarily think about uh, that as an attack vector. And maybe just the building the awareness of that is half of the battle. Maybe you can comment on that, too. Yeah, no, that's a really good point, Greg. So, you know, we talked about the mobile revolution, which I think was launched the day in 2007 in um, January when Steve Jobs introduced the first iPhone, right? We didn't know if Apple was going to come out with a phone, and there was a lot of anticipation. And uh, Jobs by then was a real hero. And so everybody was tuning in, and sure enough, he introduced the first iPhone. And what he said was prophetic. Uh, he pointed to the iPhone, he looked into the camera, and he said, this changes everything. Right. And he wasn't talking about the iPhone. He was talking about the smartphone. And he went on to say, a supercomputer in the palm of your hand, which is very much the case. And as we go forward in time and advances keep coming, it is even more and more the case. More people have a supercomputer in the palm of their hand on our planet than have access to a clean toilet. That's how fast and how broad this mobile revolution has taken place. And then he finally said, your life in your pocket. And so that's what we're doing. We're hubbing our lives around our phones, around our mobile devices. We want to do what we want to do on the Internet, wherever we are, anywhere, anytime, Uh, whether it be banking, shopping, browsing, emailing, communicating, chatting, you know, all the different uh, elements of how we're hubbing our lives around these devices. So our mobile devices, our phones are rich with the kind of information that fuels the exploit exploits of hackers. And again, because of the lack of awareness and because of the vulnerability of these devices without any sort of protection and protective solutions, um, that is increasingly the target across the world, around the world. You know, one thing we haven't touched on, um, which we hear a lot about um, in working with corporations, is the whole issue of privacy, um, and particularly acute when you're looking at um, next generation uh, age folks. Uh, that's a big concern, um, and and they have a sort of a probably a heightened appreciation of some of the privacy issues. Uh, that said, they are often putting a lot of their personal information out on the web. Um, so maybe you can talk a little bit about how your solution addresses some of those issues and maybe some other uh, concerns next-gen folks might have. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a real important topic, and anybody in a leadership position, a position of influence in a private domain, public domain, whatever the case is, I think really needs to start to take a, um, a stand on these things. And the U.S. especially, um, our regard for privacy is so low and our attention to the value of our personal information is um, at the point where, you know, the younger folks, they're really great at using the devices, 
that when it comes to thinking about the issues of privacy, when it comes to the, uh, the elements of personal information, um, I don't, it, it doesn't cross their mind in, in too many cases. And I think, you know, first of all, in the U.S., we have been, I think, snookered into believing that everything on the Internet should be free. And we and so we talk about, well, you know, let's look at the 25-year-old, 30-year-old billionaire, right? In many cases, these young innovators have created their wealth faster and greater than at any other time in history. And in most of those cases, it's because they're giving you something for free over the Internet, um, whether it be Facebook or any of the other applications that we can think about. And actually, that's an arbitrage. These are very smart operators that really understand the value of your privacy, the value of your personal information, and will give you a service for, quote, unquote, free in exchange for that. And that arbitrage is creating some of the greatest wealth faster, again, than any other time in history. So we have to ponder that. We have to put that into perspective and share that that notion. Um, so anyway, we're left with a couple of generations, certainly, that are entirely unprepared for what can happen as a result of operating on the Internet without a lot of thought to the potential consequences. Um, everything they do, you know, is written in stone when it goes out to the Internet. It's one way. There's really no getting it back. And with advanced software these days, being able to mine tremendous volumes of information to create the story that somebody might want to use against you uh, is very easy. So whether it be applying to a school or employment uh, or your reputation, um, whatever the case might be, we have to be a lot more thoughtful about how we put these things out there, start talking to the next generation about that. Our work, we say, goes from the boardroom to the break room to the living room. And so we have spent a lot of time in the living room talking with the next generation and their parents and dealing with family offices uh, to try to figure out how do you influence these kids to care? Uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, there is very little understanding or care for the matter. One way that we have found to be especially influential is by creating a family email domain. So you take your family name or some semblance of it, some um, domain name that might be available, myfamily123.net, or, you know, come up with a domain name. You privatize it so it's not in the white pages of the Internet. You create email boxes for your family. And the parents start to insist, uh, hey, kids, if you want to talk about money or grades or travel or education or healthcare, any of these sensitive issues, you know, we're going to insist that you use our family domain. It's a multi-generational cyber safe room for our family to use. And um, what happens is kids, while they roll their eyes at the front end, start to think every time they use that email. Now, why is this important to mom and dad? And they start to get into a habit. Their awareness starts to click in. Some like the vanity element of it. But you know, even in my own family, I have three kids, and just because I'm in the business doesn't mean they necessarily care more about the subject. You know, we have seen that be a driver of results and a driver of influence to begin to talk differently. And then you can start talking about VPNs and device protection and best practices with passwords and some of these other things. And 
you know, you can position that in a way that, again, is empowering, not necessarily wagging the finger, but more about here's why we think we need to think differently. Here's what it can mean for you, and let's use it to our advantage. It's not a, it's not a consequence, but it's an empowering positioning that seems to make a difference with this next generation issue that we face in the U.S. Yeah, uh, it really hit home your comments. I mean, I'm as a father of three girls, I, I've seen the eye roll many times. Um, so, and this whole idea of sort of how you position it for the culture of the uh, the family office or or the private client, I think is a big one. I've heard you talk about cybersecurity as an employee benefit, as another way of uh, kind of positioning in this and building that cultural change, uh, you know, across uh, all the, the members of that family. Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, so this started when we were invited into businesses, uh, private and public businesses, to talk to employees and teams and sometimes subsets of executives about the issue, uh, explain why it's happening, how it's happening, what we can expect in the future, and what we can do about it. And so we started to get feedback immediately, really positive feedback that was, hey, you know, thanks for that. You know, the IT department came in, they wagged their finger and said, don't write down your passwords. And, you know, the FBI came in and, okay, we get it. It's a big deal. But you actually told us what to do about it. And that was really helpful. So that morphed over some period of time into what we call cybersecurity is an employee benefit. Um, we don't position it as a consequence of the compliance department or the regulatory, legal, HR issue. We talk about it as empowering individuals for survival and success in the digital age. You know, we are in the transition of coming into a whole new era for mankind, and it's these first innings that are so problematic. And it's in these first innings that determines, you know, the next generation of haves and have-nots. And so presenting it in a way that prepares the individual, whether they're in the workplace or out of the workplace, because, again, these are existential issues, gets their attention and causes them to internalize these issues personally, which creates, you know, an ROI back to the enterprise, because if they're internalizing it personally and they're adjusting their thought processes, their awareness level, their behavior personally, that will come back to the enterprise. So the next generation was where we not only did the inform, educate, empower sessions, workshops, and boot camps, but we also brought in real solutions that were subsidized by the company or the sponsor of the event. And so first we inform, educate, empower, change their thinking, get their interest, uh, energize the room, and then we bring forth real solutions that they can begin using immediately on their devices, in their personal life, to mitigate this risk. And when we are able to measure the impact from an ROI standpoint, it's, it's really quite dramatic. Um, we call it the hermeneutic circle. When you can apply eye hand, time in motion with knowledge and information, the level and the rate of adaptation it takes a whole new arc compared to maybe some of the more traditional approaches. Brad, before we end, um... You know, it seems like uh, a lot of people um, take the approach that 
well, it's going to happen. I don't, you know, why should I put all this energy into it? You know, there's a bit of helplessness on it a little bit. Um, and that's, that's preventing people from taking the next step. And what, how would you respond to someone with that who's got that approach today? Yeah, that's really what we see all day, every day in the field. People are daunted. People are overwhelmed. People are struggling to figure out how to think about it, if they even try to think about it. And so they're uh, left uh, really kind of flat-footed at a time when it's really important to to start to think about change. Um, So the message is this. Um, The solutions these days, that is, the cybersecurity solutions that are in the field now and available in a highly affordable, simple-to-use way are incredibly effective. They will continue to get better, cheaper, and easier to use because that's what technology does. So we should position ourselves on that arc of getting better, easier to use, and more affordable and bring them into our lives because they make a substantial difference. If you think, if we know that the predominant activity, 90% of the activity, 90% of the risk plus is around opportunistic campaigns, looking for the low-hanging fruit, looking for those that are vulnerable and not prepared. If you can simply get yourself off of that radar screen as a result of having some of the most basic solutions, you have eliminated or avoided at least a tremendous amount of the risk. And again, that notion can be very empowering um, once people understand it. When I was in compliance and supervision in the financial services industry, I remember a mentor of mine saying, Brad, you can't expect people to comply with what they do not comprehend. So we have to start it with informing and educating people in a way that makes sense to them individually as individuals. And with that, you get their attention and introduce solutions, and that's where you mitigate this risk really all the way down the line to the point where it becomes far less of an issue um, going forward and positions these people for these significant advances and improvements in the solutions that we're seeing coming ahead. Great, Brad. Uh, that was great. I, I learned a lot. Um, I'm sure our audience did too, and I just want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Greg. I enjoyed it. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If you like this content and want more, go to www.rainnetwork.com backslash join to become a RAIN member. RAIN members get exclusive access to webinars, podcasts, the daily risk book email digest, expert content, and more. So go to www.rainnetwork.com backslash join to become a RAIN member today.